Well, at this time, I'd like to invite all the children up to have a seat on the platform here. Yeah, that's great. And I've got a Christmas story I'd like to share with them. So anybody, all the children who want to come, come on down. And if your child needs some tending, feel free to come with them. Come on up here. Come on up, guys, and have a seat right here. Go ahead and have a seat. your face this way because I have the book right here. All right. Are you having a great Christmas Eve so far? Great. Are you looking forward to tomorrow morning? What happens tomorrow morning? Santa comes. I didn't know that. I heard something about presents too. This is a great book called The Tale of Three Trees. It's a traditional folk tale I'd like to share with you. And after I finish, I have a little surprise for you all. But this is how the story goes. Once upon a mountaintop, three little trees stood and dreamed of what they wanted to become when they grew up. There's a picture. You see the three trees on the top of the mountaintop? The first little tree looked up at the stars twinkling like diamonds above him. I want to hold treasure, he said. I want to be covered with gold and filled with precious stones. I'll be the most beautiful treasure chest in the world. You can see the trees pointing towards all the stars in the sky. The second little tree looked out at the small stream trickling by on its way to the ocean. I want to be a strong sailing ship, he said. I want to travel mighty waters and carry powerful kings. I'll be the strongest ship in the world. You see the trees on the hill. Down in the valley, there's a ship on the ocean with that little stream right there. The third little tree looked down into the valley below where Busy men and busy women worked in a busy town. I don't, I don't want to leave this mountaintop at all, she said. I want to grow so tall that when people stop to look at me, they will raise their eyes to heaven and think of God. I'll be the tallest tree in the world. Years passed and the, rays, the rains came and the sun shone and the little trees grew tall. But one day, three woodcutters climbed the mountain. So look how big the trees have become, and here come the woodcutters. Can you see it? Well, the first woodcutter looked at the first tree and said, this tree is beautiful. It is perfect for me. And with a swoop of his shining axe, the first tree fell. Now I shall be be made into a beautiful chest, thought the first tree. I shall hold wonderful treasure. The second woodcutter looked at the second tree and said, this tree is strong, it's perfect for me. And with a swoop of his shining axe, the second tree fell. Now I shall sail mighty waters, thought the second tree. I shall be a strong ship fit for kings. The third tree felt her heart sink when the last woodcutter looked her way. 
And she stood straight and tall and pointed bravely to heaven, but the woodcutter never even looked up. Any kind of tree will do for me, he muttered. With a swoop of his shining axe, the third tree fell. And you can see they all got chopped down. And it sounds like all their dreams were dashed. Well, the first tree rejoiced when the woodcutter brought him to a carpenter's shop. But the busy carpenter was not thinking about treasure chests. Instead, his work-worn hands fashioned the tree into a feed box for animals. The once beautiful tree was not covered with gold or filled with treasure. He was coated with sawdust and filled with hay for hungry farm animals. What does that look like? What is that? Does anybody know what this box is? Yeah, it's a feeding trap, a trough, like a, like a manger. <gasps> The second tree smiled when the woodcutter took him to a shipyard, but no mighty sailing ships were being made that day. Instead, the one strong tree was hammered and sawed into a simple, simple little fishing boat, too small and too weak to sail in an ocean or even a river. He was taken to a little lake, and every day he brought in loads of dead, smelly fish. And there he is. He's now a little bitty boat. The third tree was confused when the woodcutter cut her into strong beams and left her in a lumber yard. What happened, the once tall tree wondered. All I ever wanted to do was stay on the mountaintop and point to God. There's a stack of lumber just in a big pile. Many, many days and nights passed and the three trees nearly forgot about their dreams. But one night, one golden starlit night, poured over the first tree as a young woman placed her newborn baby in the feed box. Who do you think that was? It was Jesus, that's right. Well, I wish I could make a cradle for him, her husband whispered. The mother squeezed his hand and smiled as the starlight shone on the smooth and sturdy wood. Well, this manger is beautiful, she said. And suddenly the first tree knew he was holding the greatest treasure in the world. And there's a picture of baby Jesus in the manger. That's what happened to the first tree. And one evening a tired traveler and his friends crowded into the old fishing boat. The traveler fell asleep as the second tree quietly sailed out into the lake. Soon a thundering and thrashing storm arose and the little tree shuddered. He knew he did not have the strength to carry so many passengers safely through the wind and rain. And the tired man awakened and he stood up, stretched out his hand and said, Peace! And the storm stopped as quickly as it had begun. And suddenly the second tree knew he was carrying the king of heaven and earth. So who's that who calmed the storm? It was Jesus. One Friday morning, the third tree was startled when her beams were yanked from the forgotten wood pile. She flinched as she was carried through an angry, jeering crowd. She shuddered when soldiers nailed a man's hands to her. She felt ugly and harsh and cruel. Who's, who's carrying that cross? It's Jesus. That's what became 
Yeah, it sounds like it's all about him. But on Sunday morning, when the sun rose and the earth trembled with joy beneath her, the third tree knew that God's love had changed everything. It had made the first tree beautiful. It had made the second tree strong. And every time people thought of the third tree, they would think of God. That was better than being the tallest tree in the world. The end. Yeah, thank you. Now, we don't have a boat in here, do we? But we do have the manger, and we do have the cross, don't we? Yeah, we do. Well, I've got a surprise for you in this basket. Everybody gets to pick out one candy bar, and your parents will be so excited that you get to have sugar. Just get one. Just pick whichever one you want, and then go find your parents. I know. I like the Hershey bars myself. Merry Christmas. You're welcome. There you go. Yeah, you can get one too. Did you get one yet? There you go. Good. Well, apparently nobody likes Kit Kats. What's with that? So. Whoa, that's, that's me. Well, good evening, everyone, and Merry Christmas to you all. Um, it is. A, it is. Well, thank you. Uh, invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2 for our reading tonight. If you have a, a Bible with you, that's great. You can grab the Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And the scripture will also be on the screen as we follow along. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word. Well, one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time is the 1951 adaptation of A Christmas Carol written by Charles Dickens. Of course, the most prominent character in the film is Ebenezer Scrooge, played by the great Scottish actor Alistair Sim. The movie tells the story of Mr. Scrooge's life. Of course, early in life, Ebenezer had lost the love of his life because of his enduring affection for the world of money and his ultimate love of himself. To him, Christmas had become just a big, expensive waste of time. And to him, all had become just a big humbug. Bah, humbug, he would say. But only in the end, through encountering his past, present, and future, did Ebenezer finally realize that he had traded poorly for his affections and had ended up losing dearly. He had set his affection on the wrong things, He had lost all of his joy, and he was unwilling to give anything to anyone. But as we'll see tonight with these magi, real love is what inspires us to worship. Real joy is always centered around the object of our affection, and real sacrifice is completely motivated by our heart's desire. So as we study tonight, here's what I'm not talking about. We're not talking about how many wise men there were, even though there were likely three based on how many gifts there were. We're not talking about whether or not they traveled on camels or how many others traveled with them. We're not talking about how long after Jesus was born did they arrive, uh, other, other than to say it's more likely than not that they were uh, not at the manger scene and it arrived sometime after Jesus' birth. We're not talking about the nature of the star they saw and how it appeared. We're not talking about how the star was connected with the long-standing prophecy of the coming Redeemer. We're not talking about Herod's narcissism and his jealous desire to remain king no matter what, or Herod's desire to secretly try to trick the wise men into giving away the location of the Messiah. Rather, tonight, I want us to see the enduring and provoking motivation behind why the wise men followed the star to begin with and what it led them to do when they actually arrived at their destination. Tonight, we'll see three Christmas truths that come right out of this passage that should motivate all of us to seek the risen Christ in a more passionate way. But before we study, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we desperately need your help today to not just sit through another Christmas Eve service or to hear somebody talk about the Bible, but to actually encounter you and to hear from you through your word. So we ask that you would be our teacher tonight and that we might not miss anything this particular season, this particular Christmas. So Lord, guide us and direct us, we ask. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for attending to us tonight. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. First of all, real love is what inspires us to worship. Don't miss this. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the text says, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and had come to worship him. The question here is, what inspired these men to take all the time it took to travel an incredibly long distance to demonstrate their desire, devotion, honor, and love for the one who had redeemed them? The answer, they wanted to worship him. They simply wanted to adore him. And we go, well, why? Because they already loved him. They already loved him, but how could they worship someone or adore someone they had never met? How could they have even known who he was? But they did know him already. How was that possible? Well, these men had traveled all this way to see the promised male child in the Judean countryside, born of a virgin, because they knew the scriptures and the stars. They knew that he would be the promised Messiah. He was the one true God, now made flesh. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That literally means God with us. They knew that a child would come born of a woman who would destroy evil once and for all. That's what the Genesis 3.15 passage says, as Ellie read earlier. God said to the evil one, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, evil one, this child that's coming from the woman is going to destroy you. You're going to hurt him a little bit, but he is going to smash your face, crush your head, bruise your head. Same, same difference in terms of that translation. Thirdly, they knew that he would be the king of the universe from Isaiah 9-6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the king of the universe. And they also knew that through his sacrifice, he would pay for all of our sins. Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed this is why they loved Jesus, even though they had never met him. They were inspired by his love to seek after him so that they could simply worship at his feet. And not only did they know that Jesus was the king, but they knew that he was the savior of the world. He was their savior. He was the one who would cover their sin. He was the one who would bring healing to their lives. He's the one who would give perfect counsel. He was mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And so they loved him because he first loved them. They loved him in return. 1 John 4.19 says, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. Beloved, real love is what inspires us to do the most incredible things. As many of you know, I was recently hospitalized. Um, as many of you don't know, I almost didn't make it. In recent weeks, I've been the recipient of a great deal of affection, for which I am so incredibly thankful, and for which I feel I'm the least deserving. 
my daughters demonstrated their love for me as they came and sat with my wife and with me, my brothers and my sister in various ways ministered to my family and to me personally. And then, of course, there's Kathy, who never left my side. Because I've been the recipient of such incredible, real love, I, too, want to honor my daughters because of how they have loved me. I want to honor my brothers and sister. I want to honor my wife. Similarly, real love is what should be motivating us to worship Jesus the way the wise men did. And I ask you, why are you even here tonight? Why do you celebrate Christmas? What is motivating you to worship him this Christmas? Do you realize how much he loves you? Do you realize all that he has already done for you? Real love is what inspires us to worship. Secondly, real joy is always centered around the object of our affection. In verse 10, it says, as they traveled, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. First of all, here, notice how these wise men weren't full of joy and rejoicing just because they saw a star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why? Because the star indicated that they were now very close to the object of their affection, that is Jesus. Jesus, the newborn child. But secondly here, they knew that they were about to encounter the one they loved more than all else. In Psalm 73, 25, the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Like, David, can you say that? There's nothing else that you desire on this planet more than him? In Psalm 43, 4, Then I will go to the altar of God, the psalmist says, to God my exceeding joy. And I'll praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Is he your exceeding joy? Psalm 511, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Notice how this verse has love so closely tied to joy. Years ago, I got married to her. And uh, there's a lot of things I remember about my wedding day, but there's one thing I wasn't expecting. At the end of the day, after the wedding was all over, Kathy and I are on our way to our honeymoon. All I remember was that my face hurt. You go, your face hurt? Why'd your face hurt? Some say, yeah, well, it's killing me. No, no. My face hurt, why? Because I smiled so much that day. I was so full of joy, so happy. Why? Because she was the object of my affections. Real joy is always centered around the object of our affections. This is how we should respond when we personally encounter Jesus. 
Are you having a joyless Christmas? Who do you really love? Are you motivated by your love of self or your love for him? Is this Christmas just another humbug for you? Or are you experiencing exceeding joy because of the one who loves you more than all else? Real joy is centered around the object of our affection. Real love is what inspires us to worship. Lastly, here tonight, real sacrifice is completely motivated by our heart's desire. In verse 11, we're told what the wise men did when they arrived. And going into the house, this is why most think that this event took place not at the manger scene. They're now going into a house. They saw the child with Mary, so some time has elapsed, it appears. So they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. On the one hand, we are often annoyed when we feel obligated to, to give when there's no affection. Like giving to things we feel obligated to give to for which we have no affection whatsoever. Like when people use guilt trips to motivate us, giving to a particular project or cause or at Christmas time when the proverbial family gift exchange takes place and you draw names and you draw Uncle Billy whom you can't stand. Or hating to pay taxes because you have no affection for our government and perhaps likely so. On the other hand, we love to give freely even to the point of sacrifice for those things and people that are at the center of our heart's desire. The wise men were so moved by their love for Jesus because he was their heart's desire because they loved him as their king. Paul writes in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That's what, they, that's what Paul valued more than all else, and this is exactly what the Magi valued. They valued Christ. So much so, Paul goes on, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want that kind of a gift from us where we're going, yeah, okay, I'll give you something. He wants us to have a heart of passionate gift giving to him as we really sacrifice motivated by our heart's desire. The wise men gave boldly. They gave extravagantly, purposefully, and sacrificially. They gave gold because they knew Jesus was the king of kings. Frankincense, which is an aromatic incense that was used at the temple by the priests because they knew that Jesus was the ultimate high priest, which denoted his divinity. Myrrh, an aromatic spice used in the Jewish embalming process because they knew that Jesus would be the one for all, once and for all sacrifice in payment for all of our sins. Jesus was their heart's desire, so they were willing to sacrifice everything. As a pastor, it used to be that when a man married a woman, 
Part of the vows included the line, and with my worldly possessions I thee endow. In other words, now that we are married, all that I have is yours. For me, because Kathy was and continues to be my heart's desire, I wanted to have everything and more. However, with my life based on who Jesus is and what he has done for me, I will do whatever he desires of me. I'll leave a six-figure career to go into full-time ministry for several years with no compensation at all. I'll plant churches with no resources. I'll move to Budapest with my family. I'll serve in Chicago. I'll entrust him with my family, with my livelihood, and even my health. I want him to have all that I am. Why? Because real sacrifice is motivated by our heart's desire. Beloved, this Christmas, are you living sacrificially with your affections? Or are you a love miser? Wondering why no one loves you the way you think you should be loved? Don't be a humbug. Open yourself up to love and to be loved by the one who sacrificially gave himself to you that you might find your life. Real sacrifice is completely motivated by our heart's desire. Someone might say to me, well, Brad, you're kind of crazy. You're just one of those Jesus fanatics. You're just a Bible thumper. And at the end of the Christmas carol, when Ebenezer finally understands the meaning of Christmas, he ends up giving his hardworking, underpaid clerk, Bob Cratchit, a huge raise and a Christmas bonus. Bob looks at his boss as if he's completely off his rocker and has lost his mind. Scrooge, in that moment, responds, Oh, I haven't taken leave of my senses, Bob. I've come to them. Beloved, real love is what inspires us to worship the one real king. Real joy is always centered around the object of our affection, who is Jesus. Real sacrifice is completely motivated by our heart's desire for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I ask you, who are you worshiping this Christmas? Who is the center of your joy? Who are you willing to sacrifice everything for? Well, this time, it's our traditional opportunity to sing Silent Night. And uh, we'll sing several verses, and at the end, we'll sing it. I always say acapulco, but that's not right. It's acapella. <laughs> so we're going to sing it acapella. While you're monitoring your flame, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for tonight. We thank you for this silent night, this holy night that reminds us of your willingness to come to redeem even us. Lord, may our affections be aligned rightly so that we might come and worship. Lord, help us to not just worship you, but that we would be willing to sacrifice for you, for all that you are to us. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your incredible gift that you sent so long ago that inspires us now to give, not only to you, but to each other in a demonstration of love 
So, Lord, uh, I just pray over the next uh, 24, 48 hours that as families gather, we'd be a light to our families, uh, just as this light that we're holding is a light to us. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your incredible goodness. Thank you for the beauty of this night. We want you to have all the praise, all the glory. We pray all this in your son's wonderful name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now at the count of three, we're all going to blow it out. And then don't tilt your candle for a while so the wax dries. We don't have wax everywhere. So one, two, three. Merry Christmas and have a wonderful new year. Thanks for coming. You are dismissed.